Open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6 as we return to our study this week of the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that we've been looking at now for a couple weeks. And we find here some of Jesus' most memorable warnings about the dangers of misplaced focus in our, in our Christian walk. And as we've been studying it, we have been reflecting on the incredible power of focus. That is to say, simply that what we focus on daily can have a massive impact on our spiritual walk, on our overall life, either for good or for bad. In large part, the secret, if you will, of success in your spiritual life then is simply maintaining the right singular focus. But at the same time, we forfeit so many blessings, we give up so much progress when we lose that focus, when we focus on the wrong thing. Now, in a positive way, the principle is stated for us very simply by Jesus in Matthew 22 when he says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's really a statement simply of focus. It really kind of covers everything, and the principle is pretty clear. All the law, all the prophets, all of it depends on these simple principles, these simple things. So if you can get those two things right, if you can keep your heart and mind focused on loving God supremely, and if you can keep your heart and mind focused on loving others as you would want to be loved, then more times than not, you're going to have the right attitude, you're going to have the right words, you're going to make the right choices, you're going to follow the right principles, you're going to do the right thing, you're going to respond in the right way, and you're going to be a blessing to those who are around you and you're going to find blessing yourself. That's the idea. That if you can just simply get your mind around those two simple things, then it's going to produce all kinds of positive results. It's going to have all kinds of beneficial ripple effects throughout your life. You're going to find yourself doing the things that please God again and again, sometimes without even thinking through all of the particular implications because you're just simply going to be focused in the right way. In a similar way, when you get your focus on the wrong thing, everything else can get out of line. You'll find yourself more times than not doing the wrong things, making the wrong decisions, having the wrong attitudes, responding in the wrong way, saying the wrong words, conversing with others the wrong way, and bringing grief to your own heart and filling those around you with grief. This principle is captured, as, as we mentioned briefly last week, is captured by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6.10 when he says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, just simply shifting your focus to a love of material things Setting your affections on those 
earthly treasures brings all these negative results. It's the root of all kinds of negative results, all kinds of evil. It produces all these byproducts of negative feelings and negative attitudes and negative actions and negative choices and negative relationship dynamics, all kinds of evil simply when you place your focus on the wrong thing, when you place your affection on money. Now, Jesus is really explaining this to us very clearly in the passage in front of us this morning in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. I'll read it for us just to kind of remind us uh, what he says here in total. Verse 19 of Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness, is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is really, as I said, all about focus and living and maintaining the right focus. And it presents a series of contrast here that's meant to warn us about the wrong kind of focus, particularly focusing on treasures on earth or wealth or material life on this earth. And it It's this misplaced focus that ultimately leads us to all kinds of unfaithfulness, all kinds of inconsistency, all kinds of confusion and compromise in our lives. And so Jesus is trying to help us to avoid that. And we began seeing last week how he does this with these three warnings, beginning in verse 19 with a warning against seeking the wrong treasure or laying up for yourselves treasures on earth rather than in heaven, Uh, that is He says, what reveals ultimately where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the issue he's really concerned about is the focus of your heart. As I said, he's not concerned so much about what you possess as what possesses you. He wants you to be possessed by God. He wants you to be possessed by eternity, possessed by heaven. He wants all of your attention and your thought and your motives to be dominated by that. But the danger is not simply that you fail to, if you will, store up treasures in heaven. The the danger is not simply that you sort of uh, choose to focus on the short term and enjoy the treasures in the short term and forfeit treasures in the long term. There's a deeper danger really that lurks behind all of this misplaced focus in your heart, and that is that by focusing on those short-term treasures, those temporal treasures, you actually load your life with all kinds of other turmoil. And that's what you see with his second warning that he gives in verses 22 through 23, a warning really about setting the wrong standards. Jesus introduces this point here with the metaphor of an eye, Verse 22, the eye, he says, is the lamp of the body, meaning that the the, the light 
enters the body through the eye, then the whole body is illuminated by that. Or, or we might say it this way, that the whole body can operate and respond properly and accurately uh, to its surrounding environment when the eye processes the light. He's obviously not giving us a scientific lesson on, uh, the, uh, on human optics. He isn't trying to give you necessarily an anatomy lesson. He's speaking metaphorically about how we respond to the light. And in that sense, he says, if, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light or full of light. There's some debate, by the way, about the word healthy. It's translated in some cases as single. That's the way it was in the old King James Version. The New American, excuse me, the New Revised Standard has whole when your eye is whole, or the New American Standard has clear. But many people have the idea simply of healthy. Uh, All of those really kind of point in that direction. Really one of the surest ways to understand what Jesus is talking about, one of the surest ways to know the meaning of a word is by looking at the context and directly what is it contrasted with. And in this situation, we can see very clearly that Jesus contrasted in verse uh, 22 and 23 there, he contrasted with a bad eye. Uh, the word is paneros in the Greek, generally the word for bad. So, so this single or good or healthy um, eye, this, the word is haplos, it generally refers to that which is not bad, that which is not unhealthy, that which is not deficient. And so we're talking about an, an eye, basically, that does the job it's supposed to do. That's what is meant here. And in terms of this entire sentence, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about here, obviously, a singular focus. The right focus, a healthy focus, a proper focus in terms of your eye. And of course, we know from verses 21, uh, 19 through 21, as he's been talking about treasures on earth, uh, treasures in heaven, storing them up in the right way. And we know even from verse 24, when he gets into a discussion about serving God or serving money, we know that this proper focus that he's talking about or misplaced focus that he might be referring to is misplaced focus on material things. So in all of that, we can understand that what Jesus is saying here is that when your spiritual sight is properly functioning, when your spiritual eye is healthy, when it's focused on the right thing, it will illuminate your entire life, your entire body. Or we might say metaphorically, when you have a good eye that is properly focused on Christ, your mind and your heart are filled with the right understanding of Christ. Your mind is well informed by God's divinely revealed truth in His Word, and your life is, is committed in an unadulterated way to all of the values that arise out of that proper understanding and out of that clear thinking about God's truth. When you have all of that, then what you have is a good eye. 
It is, it's a healthy eye. It's a well-informed by Scripture. It's governed by the priorities that arise out of Scripture. It understands God and His, His character and His nature, and it responds in all of life's situations according to that. But in verse 23, Jesus says, you could also have an unhealthy eye. You could also have a bad eye. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Obviously, an unhealthy eye is an eye with poor sight. Maybe even we would say blindness. It cannot see. It's the opposite of a healthy eye. It can't operate and respond with an accurate sense of its surrounding environment. And metaphorically, Jesus is speaking about a, a heart and a mind here. He's speaking really about our judgment here. He's speaking about a mind and a heart that cannot accurately interpret its life and its environment like an eye that's sending signals to the rest of the body in the physical realm. He's speaking about our mind and our conscience that affects our judgment. And just like in the physical realm, your eye directs your entire body. We're, when, when our eye is unhealthy, when our spiritual eye is unhealthy, we're making judgments, bad judgments. Your physical eye helps you maintain your balance and your, and your uh, uh, sense of danger as it relates to other objects and pathways or even people. In the spiritual realm, your mind and your conscience affect your judgment, judgment about how to maintain your spiritual balance, judgments about the pathways that are in front of you, the choices you have to make, the people that might be dangerous, the environments that might be unhealthy for you. And you're constantly interacting with those things. You're constantly placing yourself in that context and in the influence of all those things. And so it's critical, Jesus says, that you have a healthy eye, a healthy focus, that you maintain the right perspective spiritually, that your heart and your mind are informed with the right truth, and that you are responding to that truth in the right way. In this context, then, the unhealthy eye is the one that becomes distracted, overly distracted by the material things of this world, by the pleasures of this world, by the leisure, the life of ease that you might fantasize about. The kind of allurements or the kind of fame, whatever it might be. We can do that beginning to think about that secret to a happy life being somehow found in the accumulation of a certain amount of, of wealth. We can begin to kind of crave what we perceive to be the life of ease. We imagine it comes with a certain amount of of earthly treasure. Now this is described for us very memorably in Psalm 73. This kind of misplaced focus. The psalmist affirms in Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, that is to those who are focused in heart, their mind and their heart are pure in their devotion and in their sight. 
But as for me, he says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. He says in verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten with oppression. He goes on to talk about how these people had uh, set all of their tongues against the things of God and yet didn't seem to suffer the consequences. As if God didn't know and as if God didn't see. And he concludes in verse 13 and 14 that he was vain in dedicating his heart and his mind to the Lord. This is how we can lose our focus sometimes. We're kind of trudging through the sort of the daily chores of life. We're kind of waking up to the alarm and going in, you know, to work every day and getting our cup of coffee or whatever it might be. We're sitting down at our our desk or going and getting in our our vehicle to go out for the day, whatever it might be. And, And we can kind of sort of begin to gaze out and think about all of those who are not in this sort of routine that we're having to go through every day. We begin to imagine what it must be like, how easy life must be with all of those who have riches. And then we begin to, to in ourselves, think about, desire, pursue those riches. And as the psalmist says, his feet had almost slipped as he begins to envy all of those things. Thankfully, he comes to the end of all that and comes back and refocuses himself on verse, in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion or my inheritance forever he says in verse 28 for me is good to be near God I've made the Lord God my refuge and I will tell of all your works this is what Jesus is talking about this is what he's challenging you to to recognize when you have begun to lose that focus when you've begun to get an unhealthy eye if you will when you begin to crave the kind of life that you imagine to be around you and the kind, of, the kind of wealth that you imagine others are enjoying. And once you have your focus there rather than your commitments to Christ, it begins to affect your judgment in all kinds of ways. It begins to darken your judgment and your judgment becomes unreliable. You're spiritually unaware suddenly of all the dangers that are around you. Your judgment is blinded. It's, it's uh, imperceptive or unobservant. It's darkened, shallow, we might even say, not properly assessing all the damage and destruction 
that is facing you on a day-in and day-out basis. You can't navigate. You don't understand the environments you're placing yourself in any longer. I was thinking about this particularly as Mark and I were visiting uh, yesterday and we were talking and catching up on things going on in Kenya and I was reminded of this darkness uh, because Kenya is sometimes prone to power outages. Um, most of their electricity is hydroelectric power. They don't have nuclear power plants or uh, a whole lot of wind power. They certainly don't have coal and all that. So they're very reluctant, uh, excuse me, very reliant on uh, hydro power, which is wonderful, except they're also prone to droughts, which when those two things collide, you have power outages in Kenya. And so when you're over there, it's not uncommon to have all the power go out at night. And I remember uh, one night being in a coffee shop and enjoying a cup of coffee when one of these power outages happened. And my uh, room where I was staying was down this long pathway um, that I would go, you know, most of the, most every day back and forth, uh, maybe a couple of times as I taught, was teaching and, and all. But the power went out and I had to go down this uh, pathway. I don't think I had my phone or anything on me. And I remember just that feeling of pitch black darkness. And particularly on this pathway, there's a hedge of thorns on one side and just continually just kind of brushing up into those thorns as I was just trying to find my way back to my room. And it was a very helpless feeling. In fact, on one side of the pathway, at one point, there's kind of a steep little ditch. And on the other side, you have these thorns and you just feel this <laughs> sense of tension, you know, as you're, as you're making your way down this this pathway, but that's what's happened. That would ha- that's what happens when you lose the ability or you lose the light that would guide you. You can't really always avoid the pitfalls and the dangers that are out there. You don't know how to orient yourself. You don't have a sense of, of what is ahead of you. You can't really find out beyond maybe the extent of your fingertips what you might run into and you're pausing each time before you try to plant your foot and you just feel at times disoriented, confused. Depending on how deep And far out you are in the country, there might even be animals lurking, ready to attack. Now, when you realize the darkness, that's great. You can kind of try to account for it. You naturally slow down. You begin to be more cautious. But the real danger is when you don't even realize that you're in the darkness. That you begin to walk confidently as if you weren't in the darkness. When you begin to think that their darkness is actually light, which is what Jesus says in verse 23, if, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Some of you here Your whole life has been in darkness. From as early as you can remember, you've faced the dangers and the disappointments and all the rage and commotion of this world. 
both outside of you and inside your own heart. And all you have done is stumble and stumble from one thing to the next. Because all you've done is walk in darkness. And the reason you're like that is because God has never penetrated your heart. God's never shown the light of the gospel into your heart. And so your whole life is just one stumbling after another. The good news of the gospel is that when you confess your darkness to God, he shines the light. Paul says that he speaks and light shines into our heart through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God illumines suddenly everything around you. Inside and out. He makes sense of life. He provides forgiveness for your guilt and your shame. And he opens up the pathway so that you can walk in blessing and with eternal hope in him. Some experience that gloriously. They walk in the glory of that light. But then somewhere along the way, they begin to take their focus off of Christ. And it doesn't happen all in a a moment. It's not a sudden shift. It's just sort of you begin to admire the pleasures of this world. It's very gradual. You focus on other things than Christ and your rather healthy spiritual eye becomes unhealthy. And the sad thing is when you really believe that your eye is is still good. That is to say that you've walked long enough, you've been a part of a church maybe long enough, you know some theology, you know some Bible answers, you can probably even impress some people with what you know, you can maintain a certain kind of spiritual facade, and you are assuring everyone around you that your spiritual sight is just fine, but they're worried. They're concerned about your focus. They see the double life. They see the bad vision. They see the bad choices. They see the stumbling. But you convince yourself that your nominal commitment to Christ is normal. That your half-hearted following of Him is okay. You convince yourself that if you make a little room for God while you have all the room in the world for the pleasures of this world, that you're going to be secure. There's no danger. But Jesus says, look, if that becomes your situation, then your darkness is deep and it is dangerous. When you have that kind of darkened judgment and you're calling it light, it only exaggerates the darkness. You're no longer as cautious as you ought to be. In other other words, that person's darkness is greatest when they think their darkness is light. And this has particular application when it comes to a focus on material things. The life of pleasure. The life of ease. Where people take their focus off of a commitment to Christ and focus it on the pleasures of this world. They begin to love the pleasures of this world. Begin to uh, allow those things to govern your choices. 
the love of money, the love of leisure, the love of ease. And it has its effect, Jesus' warning, it has profound effects that go beyond just your stewardship. It casts darkness throughout your whole life. All of your judgment in so many areas are affected by this. Now, this is very similar, as we mentioned even last week, to what Paul says over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, when he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. There's a load of grief, he says, that comes with a misplaced focus on material things. There's a load of grief and suffering. The grief not only of missing out on the blessings of God, missing out on the blessings in your own heart, It's grief that you pile into your own life and that you drag others who are around you into. Paul speaks about those here who want to get rich, but really it's all those who take their focus off of God, all those who place their focus on the material things of this world. They make that the point of their life. It's what wakes them up every day. It's what drives them through each day. It's what consumes them more and more. They think about it all the time. Sociologists tell us that the average person in America thinks about money 50% of their waking hours. They think about how to get it. They think about how to produce it. They think about how to save it. They think about how to grow it. They think about how to spend it even. Whatever it is, they become tremendously occupied whatever, with whatever kind of particular lifestyle they're fantasizing about, and it begins to dominate their life. Their whole thinking and every conversation and all their values begin to revolve around this. And Paul says, when that happens, when that fascination with money happens, it leads you to be ensnared, to trap. He says, he says you fall, or really it's a present tense verb, you're continually stumbling, you're continually falling. It's It's not as if it's some tragic, massive mistake, but all along the way, you're making a series of little stumbling choices and stumbling associations and stumbling uh, uh, conversations, little shifts of direction that are bringing all kinds of bad consequences into your life, and they're continually ensnaring you. You reach this point of fascination, this point of love, with the material things of this world to the point where you are now irrational at points. People may try to encourage you or warn you, but you are trapped. You close off counsel. You stop up your ears because now You're all about the material world. It might be just simply overspending. You're not the wealthiest person in the world, but you can't stop spending. 
You're driving yourself into debt, which is leading you to even greater issues of having to figure out a way to pay the debts. Or it might just be anxiety and a desire for security. You have a, maybe enough income, but you want to build it up so that you, hopefully you think you'll never have to worry about anything. Or you work yourself to death wanting to buy bigger and better things, or you simply just envy what other people have and you want a lifestyle of ease that you suppose they have. No, it doesn't really matter what the form it takes. All of it, Paul says, the outcome of all of it is many foolish and harmful desires. Many foolish and harmful desires. You become victim, uh, victims of these desires. All of these sort of irrational desires, the word is blabberos. It literally means self-injurious. You harm yourself. These are, these are uh, self-harm, self-harmful desires. And you can't see them because all you can imagine is your fascination and all the joys and the glory that you're going to have when you possess all the things that you desire. But you don't realize that everything that you're sacrificing along the way is destroying you, it's destroying your, your witness, it's destroying your love for Christ, it's destroying those people around you, it's destroying your family, your love of pleasure leads to sinful desire, sinful demands of others to serve your materialistic pursuits and your sinful scheming. And all of it, you begin to compromise the truth. You find that you have to start treating other people sinfully, sometimes even unlawfully, because you have to serve your desires. And Paul said it just unfolds. It begins to corrupt all of the inside of you. It begins to have its, its fruit, if you will, this root that's within you of a love and misplaced focus on material things begin to produce all kinds of things in you. And as he goes on to say, it plunges men into ruin and destruction. What a sad thing. It's the last thing that these people think. It's the last people, thing that their goal is. The last thing they want is to be ruined and destroyed. They actually think that they're on the pathway of peace and the pathway of ease and the pathway of success. But this is where their darkness has become, their light, I should say, has become darkness. In your mind, you're actually securing your life, but you're self-deceived. You're walking in darkness. Your pathway is one of self-destruction and ultimate ruin. Again, the word here means to submerge, but it really has the idea of being completely buried. You just sort of plunge yourself down until you are just so pulverized, you're just out of sight, you just disintegrate. Chasing material pleasures as if that was the pathway to fulfillment and happiness. You're trapped. You're a victim. Your desires are controlling you. Your love of material things has entrapped you. 
You've become irrational. And you're only bringing self-harm. It's the very opposite of happiness. This is exactly what Paul says. This love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says some have already done this. You don't even have to guess where this heads. You don't even have to be a prophet. You don't have to have any kind of special insight. There are so many living illustrations around you of so many people who have pursued a life of wealth and ease and what happened to them. Some of them have wandered away from the faith that is from the Christian body of truth. They've wandered away from the truth. They've departed from the truth. They've replaced love of Christ with love of pleasure. They eventually wind up pushing away from God's people and the church. Not that the church is pushing them away, though you may think that's happening, but it's actually your love of pleasure that is pushing you further and further away. You feel disconnected. You feel increasingly disinterested, maybe even increasingly offended or even embarrassed by your old associations because you've replaced it with the same thing that drives the world around you. And so you don't identify with the church anymore and its pursuits. Your, dark, your, your judgment has been darkened. You've watered down your devotion to Christ. You've dulled your conscience. And you actually think, while you think you're on the pathway of light, the light you're pursuing is actually darkness. And how, how deep and dark that darkness has become. Now again, there's nothing inherently wrong with money. There's nothing inherently wrong with material things. But it's dangerous. It's like a shotgun, really. There's nothing wrong with having a shotgun around. It can be useful for hunting, for protection, but it can also harm people if it's not handled properly. It can do a lot of damage. And if you're always carrying your shotgun around and loaded, as it were, in your heart and mind, it could go off at any moment and do so much damage. So the right way to handle a shotgun is to keep it out of the way, many times even out of sight, and only pull it out when it's needed. This is the way... Material wealth should be for us. The issue Jesus is talking about is not that money itself is evil. It's the focus on it. It's the, 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 the idea of being consumed with it. The notion that it's what you always carry about in your mind and what always dominates your day. That's the question you're supposed to ask. Is your desire for pleasures... Or is your desire to please Christ? Now, if you've lost your focus, the objective now is to get it back, to confess to the Lord how your love of pleasure and your love of material things has darkened so much of your life. 
and now to put your focus back on Him. You want Him to be the light that directs all your ways. You want Him to be the light that influences all of your choices and goals. You want Him to be the center of all your conversations. You want Him to be the place where you're seeking all of your satisfaction. You know, the good news is you don't have to wait for that. You don't have to build up a bank account for that. You can have satisfaction complete whether you have no money or whether you have all the money. You can have satisfaction today that you have for so long only been thinking is something in the future because you've been so focused on accumulating material things. You make Him your satisfaction and you make Him your ultimate treasure. And Jesus says your entire life becomes enlightened. Your entire existence takes a new direction. You're filled with blessing and you become a tremendous blessing to those around you. Uh, I was hoping we'd be able to get to the third point today, which is the danger of trying to serve two masters. But we'll have to wait for that next week. Let's stand together and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, as we sang, be our vision. Be our focus. May indeed we find you to be the source of all of our satisfaction and the true treasure of our heart. I pray that you would let this moment be that refocusing moment for us. Let this be a call to us call of repentance and confession, call of recommitment and devotion. With the psalmist, we say, who do we have in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing we desire but you. Lord, you are our strength and our inheritance forever. And we bless you in Christ's name. Amen.